my friends. Okay, here we go. The revelation of Jesus, the actual, what, what does the word apocalypse mean? Anybody? The end of end. Wrong. The end of end. Wrong. The actually, yep. No. The unveiling, the uncovering. That's why, that's why we call it revelation, because that means the same thing. It is the revelation. Now, the very first verses of this book, name it. It says, the revelation of, the unveiling of. Jesus Christ. That's correct. Jesus Christ, which is the next, which is the next slide there. The unveiling of Jesus, because that is what this book is about. It is the unveiling of Jesus. It is showing us who he is. And that is why we should study it, because it's about him. Even if the end times wasn't going to come any minute now, we would still study this book. Even after the end times is over, we will still study this book, because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about. And I've written down here, kind of, these are, these are just my, uh, this is how I split up the book, as far as the things about Jesus that are being revealed in the different parts of the book. Um, you know, you can write them down if you want to, but uh, chapters one through three is Jesus speaking to his, uh, his servant, John. And he says, um, he, he is, he's pictured in, in that he's walking amongst the lampstands of the church. So he is there. He's in the midst of his people. He's, he's walking up and down. He's gazing upon these lampstands. He knows his people well. He's holding the pastors of the seven churches in the palm of his hand. He's, he, he cares about them. He loves them. He's caring for them. He's, he's tending them. He speaks words to each of the seven churches in Asia Minor through the Apostle John, who was most likely their, like their govern, governing elder um, over those churches. And he speaks to each of them individually, giving them words of wisdom, words of knowledge. And, and he's pouring out his love for them, teaching them, to, you know, all, all about himself and all about everything that he loves and everything that he's after. He is the Lord of the church. He is the head of the body. He is Jesus. And it's a beautiful thing. I would love for you to get really, really intimate with these first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Because everything he says in there can be, look, can be turned to yourself, to your own walk in Christ, to every church that you will ever be involved in. The things that Jesus says there, the things that Jesus has to say to each one of those churches. There is an idea floating out there that these seven churches and the picture that we see of them in the book of Revelation is a picture of the entirety of church history from the time of the day of Pentecost forward. And that the descriptions of each of those things are the descriptions of all the different churches. I don't find any biblical reason to believe that. There are people that I really respect. One of them is Chuck Smith, who uh, passed away a couple years ago. He is the founder of the Calvary Chapel churches. Um, and he believes that, that, is, that, that those are pictures of the church age, all of it. You know, And that they're descriptions of the different churches through the ages. I don't see why. I don't really understand. There's not enough in scripture from uh, that that points that way for me to actually agree with that. Okay. Can I ask and, a question? Yeah. 
Are we going more in depth than any of these, or is this very, very much more in depth? Yes. So these but are just going to this like is just an overview, really quick. Yes. Okay. okay. Chapters four and five, we will see Jesus as the Lamb of God, the kinsman redeemer, the uh, the the one who paid the price for the redemption of all things. Chapter six through eleven, we will see Jesus as the unfolder of divine destiny, as he breaks the seals on the scroll as he releases the judgments, the trumpet and the bold judgments over, um, over the earth. Chapters 12 through 14, we see him as the destroyer of the works of the devil and the king of all the nations of the earth, where he is undoing the work of Satan and he is setting up his kingdom on the planet. Uh, chapters 15 through 20, he is the jealous bridegroom and he's coming for a bride and he will not be stopped. Um, the Antichrist and all, of his, and all of his power will rise up against Jesus to stop him from coming for his bride and it won't happen. And then uh, uh, Revelation chapter 21, Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead. So uh, those are the primary pictures of Jesus in these, in, you know, throughout the book of Revelation. And now let's really, let's dive into the book. Oh, no, that's okay. You want, you want to go back? To get them all, go back real quick so she can get those. Well, I don't want everyone to be just no. It's okay. On me. It's okay because I want to talk for a minute about. We're gonna to go to the next slide. Jesus has, Jesus has goals. I want you to think about this because as we were as we walk through the book of Revelation, we are gonna see things that are quite literally unbelievable. By the time we get to uh, halfway through the seals, by the time we get to just just a, just part way in to what Jesus is doing, he will, the one, fully one third of the population of the planet will be dead. Okay, right now, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 billion people on the earth. 7 billion. Okay? Heck of a lot of people. One third of 7 billion is just a little over 2 billion people before we even get halfway through the seal judgments okay and there are 21 judgments that we walk through in the book of revelation 21 the seals are just the first seven before we even get halfway through the first seven more than two billion people will be dead two billion more than two billion one third of the earth's population will have perished before we even get halfway through the first set of seven. Think about that for a minute. That is terrible. That is horrible. Two billion people, my friends, is seven times the population of the United States. Seven. Two billion people... It's seven times the population of the United States. That means everybody in the United States dead seven times over. That's how many people will be dead before we even get halfway through the first set of 21 of seven judgments. And there, there's still another, you know, like whatever, 14 judgments left. Why would Jesus do this? Jesus doesn't do anything flippantly. He loves every single one of those people. He died for every single one of those people. He wants to see them come to salvation, and yet they will die without him. Two billion people. 
And it gets to be way, 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 way more than that. By the time we get to the end, there's all there's very few people left in the earth in comparison to today. Okay? Jesus has goals. There are things he's trying to accomplish, okay? And here they I'm gonna I just listed four of them and we'll probably run into a few more. Number one on the list is to demonstrate that human authority, when out from under the rulership of God, brings only brokenness. Jesus is going to make it very clear that when God takes his hand of grace off of the human race, things get ugly and fast. Okay, we need him. Number two is to bring justice to his people who've been tortured and murdered for thousands of years. That is Jews and Christians. He is going to bring justice. Jesus said, vengeance is mine, and he meant it, and here's where he's going to meet it out. He has suffered the death. More There have been more people martyred this year than any year in human history. And Jesus is not okay with it. He's not happy about it. He doesn't seem to be doing anything about it right now, but he will, and this is when he will. Remember, All the way back. Jesus said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. No, I mean like people getting martyred like this year. Yeah. More people being martyred. There are more people that will be martyred this year than in any history, than any time in Christian church history. that's That's kind of unbelievable to think about. When you think about... Thousands and thousands of people being martyred in China. There's about a hundred thousand people. There's about a million people a month being saved in China right now. Wow. Now there's over a billion people in China, which means it would take over a hundred, over a th- whatever, a hundred or a thousand months to actually save everybody in China. But <coughs> that's how the revival is moving in China, and people are being slaughtered. Christians are being slaughtered all over the place in China and in other countries all over the world. There'd be more people killed for the name of Jesus this year than ever in the history of the world, especially with ISIS on the move. Okay. Number three, his third goal is to show his total rulership of the earth and the angelic and demonic realms. The world will know he is the king, Period. Number four, and these aren't all of them, but these are some of them, some of the most important ones. He has he's made a promise. We listed the six things. You can go to the next slide because we go back to that side of the six things. The six promises that Jesus made to Daniel. Remember these? He is going to accomplish all of these. He's going to accomplish them. He's a fiery lover. He is not okay with the way things have been going, and he's going to fix it. All right, let's go to the next slide. Revelation chapter 4. Yeah, I love this picture. Check it out. Wait, wait, wait. Is this the picture you used for the cover art for your guys' all missions worship thing? No. Oh. It looks like it. I don't think so. No. All right, we're going to look at... Revelation chapter 4 and 5. This is really important that you understand what's going on here. So we're just going to stay on this slide until I get to the scroll. Okay. Right after 
Uh, Jesus dictates the letters. Every time I say it, just without without fail, Monty Python. Perhaps he was dictating. He's dict he dictates the letters to John that he, that he wants to give to the seven churches. Jesus says, here's what I'm doing, here's what I'm saying. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Then, John is standing on the beach. He hears a voice like a trumpet saying, come up here! And he sees a door open in heaven. Okay. If you are of the mindset that there is a pre-tribulation rapture, this is where it happens. What did you do? <laughs> well, I thought Brandon did it. <laughs> if you're of the mindset that there is a pre-tribulation rapture, this is when it happens. It's the only mention of a rapture until the end of the book in Revelation. If this massive event that is going to change the whole world and rapture the entire church for whom the book of Revelation is written, if that was going to happen, why isn't it mentioned in this book? Just my opinion. The rapture is only mentioned at the second coming of Jesus. It does not happen before then. If you're just reading the book of Revelation, there is no other thing that could be construed as the rapture until Jesus' second coming. Okay? It just, that's the only place where we see people being caught up and meeting Jesus in the air with, in, in the clouds of glory. Okay? That's the only place where we see that happen. And that happens at the seventh trumpet. Guess what? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, The last trumpet will sound. The last trumpet. That means there were trumpets before it. If there were trumpets before it, perhaps there were six of them. Okay, and the seventh trumpet in the book of Revelation looks an awful lot like the second coming of Jesus. This is why I believe it. And we're going to go to the book of Thessalonians too, where it really, to me, makes even more sense. But we'll get there later. Okay. So he sees a door that's open in heaven. Jesus says, come up here and I will show you the things that need to happen after this. Instantly he is in the heavenly scene. John is standing and he's looking at the throne of God. And he sees unapproachable light. And God is surrounded by this, rain, this green emerald rainbow that surrounds his throne. Okay, There are angels everywhere. The four beasts, or the four living creatures that we call seraphim, are here on, on, on the four corners of the throne. They're covered with eyes all over, everywhere, even under their wings. Okay? And they're constantly crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is this to come. And when they worship God, all the elders, 24 elders sitting around the throne, as they worship God, the 24 elders fall down on their faces and cast their crowns before, before God. Okay? And before the throne of God are the seven, the seven blazing torches of the Spirit of God. It's the sevenfold Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is as manifest before the throne of God. It's really, really amazing. Just, and and it, the fact that they made it into a menorah here is probably accurate, although the Bible doesn't really say. This unbelievable mind-blowing moment, okay? John is standing in the throne room of heaven, and he's looking at this incredible thing. I'll tell you what, we used to, I used to do this prayer time at 7.30 in the morning, three days a week, with the International House of Prayer here in Fort Wayne. And uh, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that 
that, that we used to do is we would always begin in the book of Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We did that because this guy came from the Chicago House of Prayer. His name is Marvin Adams. He's an unbelievable lover of Jesus. But he came, he came from the House of Prayer, and he was teaching us how to do the House, the house of Prayer's kind of worship and prayer. Now, if you have any connection at all with the House of Prayer in Kansas City, and maybe you don't, but they, they believe worship and prayer are, are, are one, that they are the same thing. And so they take, they make worship and prayer and they <coughs> inter, interwoven with one another. And they call it harp and bowl. In fact, that name comes from Revelation chapter 5, where the elders bowed before the throne with a harp in one hand and a bowl in the other. They call it harp and bowl. They are trying to do worship the way heaven does worship. And it takes, you know, and so it's, it's this whole interplay of worship and prayer and music and, and whatever that goes on. Anyway, this guy was coming to teach us how to do that, um, which is not super hard, but it was an interesting thing. And he was talking about Revelation 4 and 5. And I will never forget this day because he had, he was, he, he's a weird looking guy. I, I love him like crazy, but he's just kind of a weird looking guy. And he had these stubby little fingers. Now he could play piano beautifully. But he just had these stubby little fingers, and I have stubby little fingers, so I can talk about that. And I will never forget it, because I'm sitting on the front row, and he walks, and he's teaching like this, and then he comes over, and he points his finger right in my face, like this, and he says, until you've spent at least 100 hours in Revelation 4 and 5, you haven't even begun in the prayer movement. I just remember just getting shaken to my core, like, you know? (laughs) So we used to begin in Revelation 4 and 5 every time. Why? Because it's the beauty realm of God. We begin to see the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the power, that just the unbelievable nature of our incredible God. And these descriptions are full of color and sound and light and crazy, beautiful stuff. And so as we begin to, we'll begin to sing them and just ask for revelation on the beauty realm of God. For instance, this emerald rainbow around the throne of, throne of God. What the heck does that even mean? First of all, it's a rainbow, but it's all green. I don't really understand that, but that's, you know, it's an emerald rainbow around the throne. Where we just, Lord Jesus, I want to see that. I want to know what that looks like. I want to, I want to have an idea. What, what does it mean? What, what does it mean? Well, green in the Bible is symbolic of mercy. God bless you. Green in the Bible is symbolic of mercy. Check this out. God's, God's throne, his authority is manifested as mercy in the heavenly realms. Think about it. There's an emerald rainbow around his throne. His his authority flows from his heart of mercy towards his people. Is that awesome? Here's God, and he's got these four creatures, these living creatures, who have grown extra eyes just so they have extra ways to see his beauty. And they're staring at him night and day, and they never stop saying, Holy! Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then all, as soon as they get going, all of a sudden the elders are like, oh, it's so true. And they rip their throw their crowns off and throw it down and they bow down before Jesus. And God's like, okay, guys, I love you too. He puts their crowns back on and they sit down. And then all of a sudden, one of the one of the uh, one of the creatures sees a, a side of God they've never seen before in ten bajillion years or however long they've been standing there, and all of a sudden they're like, holy! Holy! And all of a sudden, all the elders are like, oh! again, okay. And this has been going on time since before the creation of the world, okay? God has been adored and worshiped 
He has been he has been bowed down before. He's been lifted up. Gee, oh God, you are holy. You are undescribably beautiful. This is the heavenly scene. And John gets to see it. And I'm jealous. We'll get to see it eventually, but I, I want to see it. These creatures are described several times in the Bible, by the way. They're described different ways each time, but each time they have like four faces and six wings and eyeballs everywhere. They're just weird looking creatures. They're known as the seraphim. Anybody know what that means? means the burning ones. And if you got to spend all day long, every day and every night, worshiping the King of Kings and staring into his glory, you would be a burning one too. I was at the call, in, in uh, which is a 12-hour prayer and worship time, in Nashville on 7707. It was, were you there? Yeah. It was July 7th, 2007. It was an unbelievable time. Did you, did you have fun? Yeah. I loved it. Was it. Hot. Well, oh my gosh, it was crazy hot. Yeah. It was like 94 degrees outside or something crazy like that, and the sun was just <laughs> beating down, and we're spending all day in prayer, and they keep flashing on the screens, drink water, drink water, because yeah. people are passing out. And so, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievably, unbearably hot. And we get into the evening time, and, and the worship was just was just awesome. This prophetic dude gets up. Do you remember this? This prophetic dude gets up and he says, he says, he says, I don't remember most of what happened that day, so don't worry about it if you don't. But he says, the Lord is saying to me that he is sending seraphim from his throne to teach worship leaders how to lead the worship of heaven. Right? Which I don't know how biblical that is, but that's what this prophetic guy said. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And just as he said that, so I, I felt this pinch on the back of my arm, just like right there. And I was, and I was, and I, and I turned like this and Bridget Simpson, you know, Bridget Simpson. Yeah. Okay. She had been standing right there, like for the last two or three hours. Okay. And, and so I thought she was pinching my arm saying, that's for you. If you're a worship leader, right? That's what I thought was, you know, cause she's just kind of that way, you know, like, Hey, it's you, it's you. Okay. And, I, and so I turned around to say something to her. Shh, there's nobody there. Nobody. There's, it's empty. Bridget's not there. There's nobody there. And I was like, well, that's weird. So I just went back to worship. And then the guy gets up again. And he says, some of you aren't getting this. I feel like God is sending the, sending the seraphim down from heaven to teach worship leaders how to lead worship. As soon as he says it, I felt the pinch of my arm again. And I look again, and there's nobody there. And that's when I went, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> I just, and I just fell on my knees, and I started weeping. And, and, and it felt like the Lord said, I'm going to teach you the sounds of heaven. I was just like, okay, you know, I, okay. I, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. But every once in a while since then, like especially it's happened, especially a couple of times when, when I'm about to go lead worship or something, I'll feel this, that pinch in my arm. Like, like this angelic presence is like, okay, I, I'm here again. Let's do this thing together. Oh so I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know how biblical it is, but that's what I experienced. So that was interesting. But <clears throat> here he is. So John is standing and he's seeing this happen. Okay, and out of that comes this, this picture. And they look up and they see that the one sitting on the throne has a scroll in his hand. Okay? He's got a scroll. 
in his hand. And on the, there's writing on the back end on the inside. Don't, don't flip it yet. There's writing on the back end on the inside. And it's got seven seals on it, this scroll. Seven seals. And they begin, the people in heaven begin to ask, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to break the seals? Who is worthy? Who is worthy? And it says that, every, that, that heaven and earth were both searched and no one could be found that was worthy to open, the, to open the scroll, to break the seals, to open the scroll and to read it. And John hears that and he begins to weep profusely. He's weeping, weeping, weeping. Why isn't there someone worthy to open the scrolls? And uh, one of the elders comes to John and says, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome to, to open the scrolls and to break the seals. Okay? And then he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. Horns almost always have to do with kingship, authority, and power. Seven is the number of completion. This lamb has complete authority and power. Eyes usually have to do with wisdom, foresight, understanding, the prophetic. This lamb has perfect understanding, perfect foresight, and, and he, he has perfect prophetic anointing. And he's a lamb that has been slain, and it's in the midst of the throne. And the lamb himself is worthy to open the, to open the scroll. And open the seals. Now, what the heck does all of that mean? Anybody? Okay. Well, yes, it's Jesus. Obviously, it's Jesus. Okay. Here's. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Here's the scroll, and here's a picture of what scrolls would look like back in those days, like this. And here's the wax seals that would have to be opened for the scroll to be unrolled. Okay. There's seven of them on this because somebody put that together. Check this out. Check this out. We have Jesus. Okay. We have this scroll in the hand of God. The scroll is the title deed to the earth. It's the prophetic destiny of creation. Okay. When God created man, why, why did he create him? What, what job did he give him? Anybody? It's Genesis 1. It's pretty simple. Name the what was the point? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but no. You're close. No. Yeah. No. I mean, yes, that's his. But he gave him a job. Yes, name the animals, but that was a part of this job. His job was, exactly, his job was to be the ruler of God's creation. Now, that's under God's authority, in submission to God's authority, but man was meant to rule the earth. That was our job. That's why we were created. Let us make man in our image, that he might rule over all of the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, blah, 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 blah. That is, that's what God said. When he created us, he created us to rule. And the word rule in, the old, in Genesis is actually the word Rada, which means to put your foot on its on someone's throat, to subdue, to rule creation. That was our job. That's our job. Okay? Do you know what we did with that job? We sold it for a piece of fruit. That's what we did. 
When we stepped out of submission to the rule of God and became submissive to the rule of Satan by eating the fruit, which we were not supposed to do, when we did that, we handed the title deed to the earth, the rulership of, of the earth and of creation, we handed it to Satan. You go, that's what we did. That's what we did. That is why the Bible refers to him as the God, small g, of this world. Because he is. He has rulership and authority over everyone that hasn't been bought by the blood of Jesus. He has rulership and authority. He is the God of this age, of this world. Small g, not big g. That's who he is. And we made him that way. Even me. Actually, it was Adam and Eve, but still. Okay? That is what is held in the hand of God. You know now why John was weeping when no one could be found to open it? You know now why John was mourning when there was no one on earth or in heaven that could buy the land that could buy the earth back. Just a minute. Do you understand? The destiny of the world belonged in the hands of the evil one. And we couldn't un unlock it. We couldn't open it. We couldn't make the destiny that God had planned over us, over this world, what it was supposed to be, because we sold it and we weren't worthy to open it. What you got, Scott? None of us were worthy. No one could be found that was worthy. None of us was worthy. Now, the kinsman redeemer. No, we're staying here. The kinsman redeemer. This is an idea that was built into Jewish law. Back once God gave the promised land to the Jewish people, okay, he said, here's the deal, guys. I am giving each of your families, like big, like big family, like the whole family name, like Levite, okay, uh, uh, you know, uh, all the different tribes of Israel. He gave each of the tribes, each family, a, a portion of land in, the, uh, in, in Israel, in the promised land, right? He gave, parceled it out to the different families uh, all along the line the way that he saw fit. Okay, and God said to them, here's the deal. These lands belong to your family forever. You're not allowed to sell them permanently to anyone. You're not allowed to do that. Can't. It's against the law. So if you own a piece of land and you need to sell it, maybe you need the money, whatever, you want to sell it, you can't use it, etc. You either have to, number one, sell it to somebody that's inside your same family so it stays in the family, or you can sell it to someone else but you have to arrange that after seven years, you will get it back. You'll get it back for your family. Now, they would get it back, but they had to pay for it. They had to buy it back from these other people. So basically, it was a way of loaning money. God had forbidden the Jews to, to borrow money, which is fascinating. Um, yeah, right? Don't you wish he had forbidden us to borrow money? Oh, wait, he did. Um, but we still do it. And whatever. Uh, but but uh, but 
<laughs> in forbidden the Jews. I know, I know, I know. I said wrong. Uh, <laughs> Can we okay? around that part? Yeah, I do too, sweetheart. <laughs> More than you. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't. So, what happened was they would sell their land to somebody else for the money for a while. Okay, and then seven years later, they, they were supposed to have the money to buy it back. But say seven years later, things went bad for you, you don't have the money to buy your land back. Legally, you have to. You must. So if you couldn't do it, you could find someone else in your family who did have the money who could buy it back for you. Okay? That person was called a kinsman redeemer. That's what they were called. They were redeeming the land. That's what that word means. Redeems to get back. Okay? They were redeeming the land for you, and they're your kinsmen. That just means they're a family member. Okay, kinsman redeemer. Okay, one of the one of the most famous things of this is in is in the book of Ruth, right? Okay, uh, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. Uh, her husband died, and then her boys died. Ruth was Ruth was uh, the daughter-in-law. She wasn't an Israelite. She was from another place. And so the, and women weren't allowed to own property. Sorry, ladies. That's just the way it was. So the inheritance of Ruth's husband and her sons was over. It was gone. There was no way for her to ever, there was no way for the land that was supposed to stay in Ruth's family to stay in that family. There was no way for that to happen because there was no male heir to the family. But what Ruth did was he, she sought out a kinsman redeemer, and she went to Boaz. Okay, and she went to him, and she said, "I can't, I can't own the land, but you can. Will you take care of me in my husband's, you know, in my in my husband's absence?" And she went into him, and she covered herself with his robe, and he married her. And that was one of the one of the favorite ways for kinsman redeemers to redeem was to do it through marriage because that way it, that land could still go to your children. Kind of beautiful. It is beautiful. Okay? We sold the title deed to the earth for at a price that we couldn't pay. Eternal damnation, judgment for all time. We couldn't pay it. But Jesus became our kinsman. This is why he had to become a man. He became our kinsman. He paid the price that we couldn't pay. He lived the life we couldn't live. And he bought back the earth for us. Don't weep, John. Don't weep. The Lamb of God. He has prevailed. He has paid the price that humanity could never pay. He has won back the inheritance of mankind, the destiny of mankind. Don't weep. He is worthy. Now when it says worthy, that means, number one, that he paid the price. Number two, it means he's a kinsman. He had to have the money and he had to be a family member. So he left his throne and he became a family member so that he could buy back what we foolishly sold and give it back, give the destiny of the world <coughs> to us.
Is that unbelievable or what? And think about that for a minute. Jesus paid the price that we couldn't pay, and he bought back what we couldn't buy back. This is one of the things I love to pray this prayer. I love to pray Revelation 6 over people who feel like their dreams are, are gone or feel like they have screwed up too much to the point where their destiny has been wasted. And I love to just, I love to pray this over them and say, don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah has, he has prevailed to buy back your destiny and to pay the price that you could not pay. All the foolish, ridiculous things that you did to, to the way that you threw your destiny away. The way that you threw the prophetic promise of God over your life away, Jesus' death and resurrection has bought it back from the evil one, and he will give you a destiny that you never thought you could have and that you never deserved because he's our kinsman redeemer. Now that he has overcome, and now that the scroll is in his hand, he begins to break the seals. He begins to break the seals. Remember goal number one? To demonstrate that human authority went out from under the rulership of God brings only brokenness. Jesus is buying back human authority. He will rule the earth as a man. Do you see? Do you see what Jesus is going to do? He's giving us back what we foolishly threw away. He has bought back what we stupidly sold and he's giving it back to us. And he will rule the earth as a man forever. That was God's original design. And that is still God's design. Jesus is in charge. So as we see these next few seals, etc. As we see them unfold. Don't forget that Jesus is in charge. He's the one behind it all. He's the one that's doing it all. And it's going to be okay. Let's go to the seal number one. Oh boy, take a deep breath. What chapter is this in? We are in Revelation chapter six. Okay, so open. We are in Revelation chapter 6. Antichrist. All right, I'm going to go I'm going to go find it here, Revelation 6. No. It's okay. We we go back to heaven a bunch of times in this uh, in the in in the book of Revelation and it's going to be okay. I want you to know that I'm I am I'm going to be absolutely plowing through the book of Revelation because we don't have time, okay? I'm going to be sprinting through this book. So just be aware of that and try and keep up. Oh, I can't. My computer's not cooperating. Somebody somebody pull up Revelation chapter 6. What do you got? Read it. Yeah, go for it. You don't use that crap. As long as it's not the message. 
As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the lamb broke the second seal... Stop. All right. Here we have the picture of Antichrist. Okay? He is called forth. The one of the living creatures around the throne says, Come! Because Jesus has broken the first seal. And here he comes, Antichrist. Okay, the boogeyman of all boogeymen. <laughs> all right, he is not a good. He's not a good guy. Go, go ahead and go to the next. The next. I really love this. Okay, this is this is from the this is from the uh, the uh, the Lego Bible. <laughs> and if you, this is one of the later descriptions of the Antichrist is a beast that comes out of the sea. We'll we'll be seeing it in a minute. But it says he has blasphemous blasphemous names on his head. And it says Yahweh sucks up here. <laughs> I just love it. Uh, whoever did that, uh, they, they have my applause. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, yes, this is this is the beast that comes out of the sea. We're going to read about him in just a minute. But but wait, just a second. Let's leave it on this on this for a second. I just love that. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> okay. Here he is. Now check this out. All right? Seal number one, I believe, is the treaty with many. Okay? Is Daniel 9.27. I think seal number one is Jesus saying, let's start the clock again. And he breaks the first seal because he is jealous for the destiny of mankind to be fulfilled. Ooh, come on now. He is ready. He is ready to see mankind become his bride forevermore and evermore and evermore. And it's time. He is fed up. He is ready. God the Father says, go get your girl. Snap. Number one. He breaks the first seal. I'm going to do this thing. And out comes Antichrist. Now, this is what's going on. Understand that these, especially these first few seals, okay, these first five seals are Jesus going after goal number one, demonstrating that human authority without the power of God brings only brokenness, pain, destruction, and difficulty. So this is not, these seals are Jesus removing his restraining hand from the rulership of mankind. Up until this time, Jesus has been Stopping Antichrist here, stopping Antichrist there, stopping Antichrist here, stopping Antichrist there. When we get to uh, the, the book of Thessalonians, where, 2 Thessalonians, where it talks about Antichrist, it's going to say, you know what has been holding him back. And when it's removed, that's when he'll come. Not until then. Okay, so here's what's been going on. He is, Jesus has been holding this thing down all of this time. Now Jesus is saying, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. You want to rule yourself? Go ahead. I'm not going to stop you anymore. I'm going to allow the evil of mankind to be fully uh, demonstrated as what it is. I'm going to take my hand off. These aren't direct. This isn't God directly sending a meteorite to smash into the earth. That's coming, but that, that's not what God is going on. Right now, God is judging us just by letting us do what we want to do. Have your parents ever done that? What? No, not a meteorite. Have your parents ever have your parents ever said, you know what? Fine, you want to do it? Go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> right? And was it ever good? No. No. 
It was never good. You're always, you always end up in trouble. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's going, you know what? You want to rule yourself? Go right ahead, boys. Have fun. And that's, that's what Antichrist is. So now the Antichrist spirit that has already been on and, uh, loosed on the earth and is all over, moving everywhere on the earth right now, raising up crazy people like Oprah, crazy people like, like I'm not kidding around. Okay, I'm not kidding around. She is, she is a massive, massive, uh, uh, she is a priestess of Antichrist. There is no question about it. Okay, she is. If she was a man, I would have think she is the Antichrist, but she's not. So, well, man, maybe. I mean, we don't know. Right? She can't. The Antichrist can't be a girl. The Bible says, the Bible calls him the son of perdition, and it is a man. Okay? And, there's, and it's a man riding on the white horse. What? No. This is Greek. This is a boy. I mean, I don't think it's a woman, but... Now, when Antichrist is first released, he will be peaceful. He's riding a white horse like a savior. He's carrying a bow, but no arrows. He's going to start off as a man of peace. Oh, we're going to stop the fighting in the Middle East, and we're going to shut that thing down. We're going to say, yes, I believe that this is the treaty with many. This first, this first seal is that, is that next step in the time clock. It's the treaty. <coughs> Crack. Here comes Antichrist. Sign the treaty. The, the uh, peace, 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 they say. Peace and safety, peace and safety. That's what they keep saying. And, and here he is. He's ruling. He's, he's the savior of the world. He's bringing peace and prosperity to the whole planet. And everybody loves him. Oh, aren't you such a great guy? Okay. Because he's running. And he's given a crown. And he's sent out. And here he goes. And it's going to be a pretty ugly thing. Now, we are going to talk about Antichrist now. So go ahead and go to the next thing. I've been promising you all day. Oh, my Lord. Oh, man. Why did... That's ugly. All right. I'll just read it to you. Uh, just go to the next one since that's, like, impossible to read. Okay. <laughs> All right. You want me to stay on this one? I don't care. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you can go to the next one if you want to. I don't know what it is. Okay, there we go. Oh, no, don't go to that one yet. I'm not ready for that one yet. Okay. <laughs> if you want to go back to the red one, go back to that one if you don't like that one. Okay. <laughs> Revelation chapter 12. Okay, he's the beast from the sea. Okay, boy, a beast, beast is coming out of the sea. Boy, I think I've seen that somewhere before. Right? Beasts coming out of the sea. Do you guys remember that from Daniel? Yeah, beasts coming up out of the sea. He's the beast from the sea. The dragon, the dragon, here's what it says. Verse 1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. This is Satan standing on the shore of the sea. He's calling this out of humanity. Remember before it was, it, we said it was the spirit of God. And here, was, here Satan is waiting for this beast to come up out of the sea. And he's calling it out of humanity. He's been trying to raise a Antichrist for thousands of years. Finally, he has the opportunity to. Finally, he gets to. And here he is. Big old ugly, mean old Antichrist. Okay? Yes. So it's very familiar. Beast, beast coming from the sea. That's kind of familiar, don't you think? Okay. He's calling this out of humanity, stirring up humanity to produce his will, the most evil human to ever live. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. That's the Yahweh sucks one. On each head a blasphemous name. Okay. 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 Again, ten horns. Does that sound familiar? 
We've seen this beast before, my friends. He looked a little different, but he is, but it is the same beast. Okay, ten horns, seven heads. This part's new, but if you think about seven heads, each with one horn, and one head with four horns, okay, the three others, it will make a little more sense to you. So here's here's what's going on. Remember that the Anak, originally there were ten horns, okay? The notable horn came up in the midst, and that's the eleventh horn, and he uprooted three horns in front of him, right? So now, if you're picturing a beast with seven heads, okay, all of them have one horn, but one of them has four horns because it's the notable horn and the three horns that got uprooted. You follow? Mm -hmm. Okay. You've got six heads with one horn, one head with four. And so we have seven horns or 10 horns total. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had the feet of uh, like those of a bear and the mouth like that of a lion. Okay, that, that is a representation of each of the former beasts. Okay, remember the leopard, the lion, and the bear. He has pieces of each of them. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Look at this. Satan gives his throne and his authority to the beast. Now, Satan, Satan doesn't give his throne and his authority to anybody. But Satan is giving his throne and his authority to the beast for these three and a half years. He is giving them to him. He says, I will give you authority over my armies, over whatever, da, 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 da. Now, I think it's, I think it's a trick. I think he's going to take it all back. When we get to the AOD, I think it's going to be taken all back. But as of right now, he's being given authority. He can, he can command demons. Okay, think about it. This is, I'm, this is Revelation chapter uh, 12, by the way, if you're, if you're trying to follow along. We skipped ahead because I wanted to talk about Antichrist in more detail. Beast I saw resembled a leopard, blah, blah, blah. The dragon gave him his, uh, gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. His power in this world and in the demonic realm. It's a mo- this is a mockery of the rulership of Jesus that was given to him by the Father. This is, these, Satan is the false father. The Antichrist is the false son. And the prophet is the false Holy Spirit. We will run across the prophet here in a minute. Okay? It is an unholy trinity. Satan is not creative. I know, I'm sorry. It's I should have done a different color or something. Satan's not a creative person. He's just copying God the Father. That's all he's ever wanted to be was another God the Father. And, you know, he's an idiot. Okay. Number four, or verse four. Oh, sorry, verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. So go two slides ahead so we can see that. One more. Right. This is the fatal wound. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. Okay. But the fatal wound had been healed. And the whole world was filled with wonder. And followed the beast. This fatal wound that was healed is the reason that we believe the Antichrist will be assassinated. 
at some point and resurrected before he begins his full reign. Okay, so check this out. This is how I think it's going to go. Ready? Follow this logic. This is how I think it's going to go. Antichrist is released with the opening of seal one. As we're going to see in a minute, seal number two is world war. Okay, we'll get there. As, but seal number two is world war, and it's going to be this war that's unleashed on the planet. Okay, here's how I think it's going to go. With uh, the, the opening of the first seal, the Antichrist comes onto the scene. I like to, and he begins to lead or becomes a part of the false church, which is called the, uh, the harlot Babylon, the mystery religion, the harlot Babylon. Okay, we'll learn more about her in a little bit later. But I like to call this the idea revolution, harlot Babylon, because this is what's going on. The earth is being swept over by the spirit of Antichrist. And the great delusion is moving all over the planet. Anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life is being convinced that Antichrist is the Savior of the world. That Antichrist is worthy to be followed. At the very least, they think he's a great guy. At the very best, they think they should worship him. Okay, this is prior to the AOD. We're not even there yet. Okay, but people are beginning to follow this man. And they love this church that he's a part of, okay, which is, which is called the, the uh, I like to call it the idea revolution, but it's really, but it's, and the Bible calls it harlot Babylon. And it's this, it's this connection of all the religions into one. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, this, this kind of idea that it's this idea kind of, that's kind of like, um, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's the, the divisiveness of religion, blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm talking about? The people talk about it all the time, how, how, uh, how, the how religion is like the worst thing that's ever happened to mankind and how um, all these all these religions have only ever stirred up trouble they only make people hurt each other we hate them we want we want religion to be gone from the earth okay that's going to be kind of the diatribe of harlot babylon and harlot babylon as we'll find out later actually has a lot to do with money and power and commerce etc harlot babylon is is going to be the thing that carries the beast to his full to his place of political authority and power. Okay? And he is going to be leading this world war. He's going to be winning this world war. Okay? The nations of the earth that that don't just give their leader give, give leadership to him. Okay? Those nations of the earth that don't just say, "Come and rule us. You're so awesome." And there will be some. Okay? Those nations are going to fight against him, and this is what he's going to say, something along this line. I want to take, we're going to go into these nations because they, they, uh, you know, they're, they're oppressing people. We're going to liberate people. We're going to set them free. We're going to make them as free as the people that live under my regime. We're going to go in and we're going to set these people free. We're going to give them true liberty that they've never seen before. And aren't you excited about a world? And everybody's going to say, yay, Antichrist is awesome. Of course, they aren't. That's not going to be his name. People aren't going to be calling him Antichrist, okay? Relax. Okay, the Antichrist. So we get a little way along the line, and eventually, at some point in time, Antichrist gets killed. And the Bible says that, he, this, these, that the wound in his head is caused by a sword. Now, is that going to be a literal physical sword where somebody walks up and it's like, ah! Okay, that's what happened in the Left Behind books. Remember the guy took the, 
the thing and 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 shanked the Antichrist when they were on the on the thing. And you guys, you, anybody read those books? Anyway, they said it was caused by a sword. I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe it's a gun that has that's like sword class. You know. Even if he's going to be resurrected, I'd love to be the one to kill the Antichrist. I think Leonardo DiCaprio probably looks a lot like the Antichrist will. Man, man, man. Mm-hmm. No, nothing against Leo. I mean, it's just because he's he's you know everybody's gonna love Antichrist. They're gonna think he's the most you know he's gonna be incredibly handsome and, and he's oh he's gonna be a ma- the greatest celebrity the world has ever seen. The whole world will love this dude. They're going to just yeah, think he's awesome. Gonna okay. Antichrist! And of course, he won't be called Antichrist. I know. But you know, when we talk about it in the Antichrist, he won't, that won't be his name. You know, he's going to be, you know, whatever. So he'll get assassinated. All right, check it out. He's, he does, he said he, he's brought peace to the Middle East and he's assassinated. And here's what happens. Okay. They say the whole world will mourn. They'll be, they'll weep. Oh, this man that we love so much. He's all, he's, you know, he's, he's dead. And why do we always kill our best people? Martin Luther King and JFK and the Antichrist. You know, why, why do we do this? (laughs) Okay. That's what they're going to say. They're going to say, why? You know, they're going to see him. He was the man of peace. He's a man that brought, that brought beautiful things to the world. He brought peace to the Middle East. You know, he was, he was fighting for the freedom of the whole world, right? And he was winning, but in the end, he gets assassinated. Oh, it's terrible. So then we, we get to the funeral of Antichrist. And check this out. The funeral of Antichrist is going to happen. And you know what? This is what we're going to do. We're going to do the and, and all of this is conjecture, but this makes so much sense to me. Let's have the funeral of the Antichrist at the most powerful symbol of all that he's accomplished. Let's do it at the new temple in Jerusalem. Right? Let's have the funeral there. You know that postcard I talked about with this, the picture of the temple and, and the Dome of the Rock, you know, sitting there next to each other and this beautiful piece. And let's, let's do the funeral of Antichrist right there. Okay? And the false prophet is going to get up. And he's going to be like, this was a man who loved the world. This was a man who brought peace. This was a man who was beautiful. This is a man unlike any other man. And then he's going to say, in fact, he is unlike any other man. And he's going to turn around. And Antichrist is going to sit up in the coffin. At his own funeral. He's going to sit up in the coffin. And he's going to get out of the coffin and say, guess what, folks? I am a man unlike any other man. (coughs) I am Messiah. My fatal wound has been healed. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Very, 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 very much. Yes. Yeah. Can I just say, if any of you guys happen to be deceived enough to follow the Antichrist, if you sit in there crying out a funeral and he sits up in the grave, then you're going to know. Oh, yeah, but what he does next is even more telling. <clears throat> because he's going... You might not see too, he is raised from the dead. He's going to say, he's going to say that the stories about Jesus, they, those were just prophecies about me. They weren't real. Those were just, those were just prophecies about me. I'm the true Savior. I'm the true Messiah. And he's going to turn around and he's going to walk into the temple of Jerusalem. He's going to knock over whatever's in the Holy of Holies. He's going to, and he's going to stand there and sit down and say, I am God. You worship me or, I, or you die. And the whole world will see this happen. 
And a lot of people are going to be like, finally, right? Most of the world will stand up and cheer. That's that line uh, when they vote Palpatine extra powers in that one scene and everybody's cheering. And then Natalie Portman says, so this is how freedom dies, to cheers and applause. That's exactly, that's exactly what's going to happen. It is exactly what's going to happen. That it's, he's going to walk into the temple, declare himself God, and most of the world is going to say, we knew that already, and they're going to worship him, they're going to love it. There's going to be huge celebrations. Yay! Okay, the, the false prophet's going to go, and he's going to set up the image of Antichrist. Um, let's go to the next, the next slide. I don't know. Oh. oh, you know what? Never mind. Let's go back. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, Not you, my computer. <laughs> he's going to go, and the false prophet's going to go in and he's going to set up the false image of the Antichrist in the, uh, in the temple. And he's going to give it power to speak. And to and anyone that doesn't worship the image of the Antichrist will have their head cut off. Yay. Yeah, it's going to be great. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. Like I'm sorry, the next two slides are both red slides. I'm sorry, I didn't know it would look like this. Okay, this is Daniel 11. You know what, before we go there. Okay. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and then and the worship, they will worship him. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 11 of, uh, or chapter whatever, Revelation chapter 12. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Do we know that? 42 months is three and a half years. Okay, 42 months is three and a half years is 1260 days. Okay, and the little, remember the little, the little horn was given a mouth also from Daniel. Remember that? Okay, verse six, it opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. And it was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Again, we saw this in Daniel. Verse 8, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. He who has ears, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Now in the book of Daniel, he gives us a little bit more insight into Daniel chapter 11 talks about the Antichrist again. I'm just going to go through it super fast, but he says, it says he will do as he pleases. He will magnify himself above every other God. This is not a chapter we went through before. He will say unheard of things about the God of gods. He will be successful for a time. He will be a man of war and wealth, and he will be defeated in the end. That's Daniel chapter 11. That's, uh, that's more prophecy about the Antichrist. That whole, uh, he has another vision and it's all about Antichrist that time. Now we're going to go to the beast that comes from the earth, which is still, we're still in Revelation chapter 12. 
And I'm sorry, we're once again stuck in the red. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Doesn't that say something to you? He looks like a lamb, but he sounds like a dragon. It's the false prophet. He looks like Jesus and a savior, but he will speak just like the enemy. Verse 12, it exercised all authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. The, and the false prophet <coughs> will be, he's the false Holy Spirit. He's the worship leader for Antichrist. Okay. Verse 13, it performed great signs and wonders, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of people. Because of the signs it will give power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth in order them, and it ordered them to set up an image and honor the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So he will, provo- he will do signs and wonders. He'll call fire from heaven. People will see him do it. Ugly, ugly, ugly. He will set up the image, which is the abomination of desolation. Second beast was given power, this is verse 15, to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. The image of the uh, abomination of desolation will be itself demonic and powerful. It will be given breath and speech. Creepy. I wonder, I wonder if this is some kind of like an android or like a clone of the Antichrist or some kind of, I don't know. I, I don't know, but it's going to be alive. Really just, ugh. he will kill those who do not worship the beast and he will institute the mark of the beast. This is verse 16. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads. Um, on the right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of the, it is the number of a man and that number is 666. Okay. Yes. So this is the mark of the beast. There is so much speculation about this. People, people are convinced that, oh, it's going to be this microchip that you put under your skin. And, and they're going to be. And it might be. It totally sounds something like that. But the Bible doesn't say that. So let's just, let's just back it up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> let's tell you what the Bible does say about the mark. Okay. It is a mark. It will be visible. Okay, we know it will be visible. So if it is a microchip, there'll also be some kind of tattoo. Some visible mark that's going to be put on your hand or on your forehead. Okay, the back of your right hand or on your forehead. It will be a visible mark. What? Who would choose that on their forehead if you could have it on your hand? See, people are antichrist or working together. Well, I knew that, right? That's who's really I think the Antichrist is Steve Jobs just returned from the dead. Whoa. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's why my that's why my mat keeps throwing itself on the floor. It's like no, just kill me. That was the idol. There's a bunch of people that were like, 
will be wearing the Apple Watch, I wonder. No, whatever. Heck yeah. Okay. <laughs> you mean I'm going to get a free Apple Watch? I'm in. I don't care. <laughs> okay. So it will, be, it will be visible. It will be physical. It will be on the right hand or on the forehead. Okay. They cannot buy or sell unless they have the mark, which is the name of the beast and the number of its name. Okay, and then it talks about 666. I don't know what that means, 666. It says it calls for wisdom. So I don't know. Just pay attention. Eventually it will make sense to us. 666 is the number of his name. It's the number of a man. Am I in chapter 13 now? Yes. Okay, this calls for wisdom with the person who... As insight, blah, blah, blah. All right. It is a part, this mark is a part of the abomination which causes desolation. No one can buy or sell without the mark. We talked about this earlier. You cannot buy or sell without the mark of the beast, period. If you worship the beast and take his mark, you will be condemned to hell, period. Now, somebody, I don't remember who it was, was it you, Biff, asked me, can you be forced to take the mark? Okay, later on in scripture, and I think we'll run across it when we get there, um, it says that the ones who are condemned to hell forever, the ones who have, who have worshipped the beast and taken the mark on their hand. So in other words, it's, this is a choice that people are making. So if little children are forced to take the mark, then that's not what we're talking about. This will be a volitional choice of our will to worship the beast and take his mark. Yes. Do you think that it could be a thing like, okay, you don't like the government, you know, a lot of people think it's the government's going to give it out, but maybe they'll put like a really high tax if you don't have the mark. That gives you a lot of incentive to have the mark. And then people, that's why some people, do you see what I'm saying? The incentive to have the mark is if you don't take it, I will kill you. But then why wouldn't they? They will chop the head off of anyone who's found without the mark. Why wouldn't they force you? They're, they're not going to knock you out and, and give you the mark and then wake you up and be like, yay. No, they'll just kill you. Because the only reason you wouldn't take the mark is you don't want to worship the beast. That's the only reason. Okay. All right. Seal two. Seal two. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Seal two is World War Three. Okay, world war. Remember I told you, those nations that don't turn to Antichrist, he's going to subdue them himself. He will say, they didn't, they didn't turn to me, so I'm going to go after them, and he's going to attack them. That's World War Three. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about that. Seal 3. This is the backlash of war, which is financial ruin and famine. The greatest war ever in the history of the world... The Bible says that between the war and the famine and the plague and wild animals, which is seal number four, one-fourth of the population of the earth will be dead. Okay, financial ruin and famine. It's going to be insane. All right, seal four, plague and animals. The reason I say animals is because the Bible says that the wild animals will begin to kill people like crazy. Like the wild animals are just going to be released to start killing people. We don't know why. The Bible doesn't really say. 
It just says that people will die from the wild animals. What? Is he a wild animal? I think that all the animals of the earth are just going to go crazy and start killing people. Cows are going to trample people. I'm not kidding. I'm telling you. Stuff. Stuff. They're already bad enough now, okay? All right. Go back. Go back. Plague and wild animals. Here we go. One-fourth of the Earth's population is now dead. In today term, today's terms, that's about 2 billion people. That is the population of the United States seven times over, and they are dead. Dead as a doornable. Yeah, yeah, one-fourth. Doornable. Doornables are good, are dead things, okay? Have you ever seen a living doornable? No. <laughs> I wish, I wish I had your wisdom of all of the things you know. Me neither, but you know. But I've never seen a living one either, so it's as dead as a doornable. I've seen a living one. <laughs> You've been a living doornable? Congratulations. I thought they were extinct. Okay. Seal five. Like I said, we are sprinting through because it is after four o'clock. Seal 5. I said abomination because the abomination which causes desolation is not placed in the timeline anywhere. It is talked about in Revelation 13, but it is not that it is not put in a, in the timeline anywhere. I believe that it's going to happen immediately before Seal 5. Okay? Because Seal 5 what we see is a bunch of a a bunch of of martyrs underneath the altar in heaven. Okay, and then they are at, all of a sudden, we go from the procession of the seals, which is all these crazy things that have been going on, and then all of a sudden, seal five, he breaks seal five, and there's a bunch of people under the altar in heaven saying, Oh Lord, how long, oh Lord, righteous and true, until you, until you uh, uh, avenge our death. So to me, all of a sudden, a bunch of martyrs appear in heaven. Okay, the, 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 only place in, the, the only place in Revelation that we see martyrdom really dramatically increase is after the abomination of desolation. So I believe that this is where it comes. Not only that, but this is where things start to get really hot. Okay, because seal six is nuts. Go ahead. Is this the, like, the moment in time that you uh, like say that you'll run to get your head chopped off? Yes. Yes. Is that what you suggest we do? I don't know. No, I probably won't do it either. But you know that I always, I always say, what's the point? I, I, I just want to walk to wherever the guillotine is and be like, can you show me the image of the Antichrist so I can pee on it? <laughs> you know, just like, oh, you want me to bow? All these other people are bowing down. Oh, great Antichrist! And I'm gonna be like, just hold on a second here. You know, I just pee on it. Oh no, they're gonna kill me now. Oh, I, I didn't know that was gonna happen. Okay. Now remember, go, go back to go back to seal five real quick. Right here, this this line right here is the twelve is the twelve hundred and sixty days. This yellow line on the on the on the timeline is the twelve hundred sixty days, and it begins it begins at the abomination which causes desolation. It begins at the AOD. All right, that's where it starts. Boom. 1260 days. Start the clock because Jesus is coming back 1260 days after that happens. That's the promise of scripture. Let's go. 1260 days. That's all we got left. Yeah. Okay, so that's like. That's three and a half years. 
<laughs> right, it's three and a half years, I understand. Well, what I'm saying is, um, you think that all the Christians are going to, no, not all the Christians are going to, but you think there'll be some left at the end of the world. Oh, yeah, there will. All during this time, and we haven't talked about this much at all, but all during this time, the greatest revival in human history is going on. People are getting saved by the droves. Why? Because we are the prophetic church, and we are telling everybody what's going to happen before it happens. Guess what's going to happen next? He's going to go into the temple. He's, oh, the, you think he's dead? No, he's going to be raised from the dead. Okay, probably three days later because he's a copycat. <laughs> he's going to be raised from the dead for the whole world, and everybody, then he's going to tell everybody they have to worship him. People are going, to, that's not true. He's a man of peace, and how dare you defame his name? Blah 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 blah. Trust me, it's going to happen. And when it does happen, people are going to go, "Hey, he was right." And they're going to say, Jesus, this whole Jesus thing is kind of kind of real, maybe. Who knows? So they're going to turn, and they're going to, they're going to come back to the Lord. Okay? Not only that, we are going to be performing signs and wonders unlike anything anybody's ever seen, because the Bible says, in the last days I will pour my spirit on all flesh, my sons and daughters will prophesy, blah, 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 blah. We're going to be walking in incredible authority and power. It's going to be awesome. Revival like, any, any, like nothing we've ever seen. Yeah. So like that really cheesy scene from The Left Behind where, comes out singing that hymn and everybody freezes. Yeah. I don't remember that scene. It's <laughs> Who comes out singing the hymn? Two witnesses at the wall. Oh, yeah. I don't remember that scene. Anyway, so, yeah, there's going to be crazy, crazy awesome stuff. All right, so that's Seal 5. I think abomination and desolation is, is very associated with Seal 5. I really do. Okay, Seal 6 gets nuts, okay? So the, Seal 5, the martyrs um, begin to ask God... Now, remember what I told you about the church unleashing the things? This is really the first place where we see a, a group of praying saints causing God to turn and unleash, uh, un, unleash judgment on the earth, okay? Because that's what they're doing. They're martyrs, and they're underneath the, the altar of God, and they are praying, Lord, avenge us. And the Lord says, Rod! He gets really mad, okay? And then he turns and he causes a, a great earthquake and signs in the sky, okay? This is a total change from the other seals. The other seals were all like man-caused. This one is God-caused. He comes and he, he just destroys the earth in an unbelievable way. The, the, this, this earthquake is going to be so crazy, and the sign in the sky is going to be so dramatic. The Bible says that there will be men who will climb and under. They will call for the rocks to fall on them. Save us from the wrath of the Lamb. You know, they're going to be freaking out because this huge earthquake is shaking the whole earth. They're just, it's going to be unbelievable. And there's going to be signs in the sky. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so that's, that's going to be crazy. Seal 7 is the release of the prayer movement of the end times in greater power than ever before. It stirs God's heart to release the trumpet judgments. Okay, so what we see is we see, again, we see the praying church. Jesus you know, and, and, and the Bible says that after, the, after, that, uh, after that earthquake, um, that this angel is going to come out of the temple and he's going to mix the prayers of the saints with, uh, uh, with incense and with fire from the altar. And he's going to throw it down to the earth. Okay, And when he does, there's going to be this unleashing of, un, uh, of incredible stuff that's going to happen. And then that is what brings forth the trumpet judgments. The bugle judgments are now about to begin, okay? The release of the prayer of moon to the end times in greater power than ever before. So we're already walking in unbelievable power. And now the prayer, the prayer of the church goes 
Woof. Okay, because we've seen the abomination which causes desolation. We know we only have 1,260 days left, and we are getting ready to be the people that receive Jesus back from heaven. Is it going to be awesome or what? Okay, so that's seal seven, and we are done with the seals. Let's go to the next thing. Trumpet number one. And this is the kind of trumpet we're talking about. It's a shofar. It's not, it's not a, uh, okay. Now, the trumpet ones are all divine things. These aren't just the backlash of human action that the Lord has allowed. These are things God specifically does. Okay? So trumpet one is one-third of the earth's plant life is burned up. That's the grass and the trees, all the plant life. Imagine one-third of the plant life on the planet being burned. Oh, plant life. Sorry, plant life. One-third of all plant life burned up. That includes, like, you know, wheat and corn and etc. Now, the, the, the economy of the earth has been in really bad place since seal... Uh, since, since, since seal number three, okay? There's been a famine all over the earth since seal three. We are only three and a half years into the tribulation at this point, okay? <laughs> Bad stuff has been happening, all right? One third of all the earth's plant life is burned up. Now, if you're worried, you're saying, no, wait a minute, Josh, you said we're still going to be here for all this. This is going to suck. I don't want to be around. Well, then go to the post office and get your head chopped off. I mean, just go wait in the, under the altar, Okay. Uh, but I also, the Bible talks about that we will see the same kind of miracles that the children of Israel saw in the desert. So that means God's going to give us food. He's going to give us water. Our clothes won't wear out. Okay. Um, that we will, that none of us will be sick or anything like that. It's going to be awesome. The kind of miracles that we see happen. So when the third of the plant life burns up, okay, the rest of the world is going to be starving to death and we're going to be good because we just keep multiplying the same loaf of bread over and over again. Okay. Okay. Trumpet number two. One third of the ocean of the Earth's ocean life is burned up by a volcano or a meteor thrown into the sea. In the in in the book of Revelation, it's a giant mountain covered with fire that is thrown into the sea. Now there are places on the Earth. There are um, all, a couple different ones on the Earth where there there. They're just, they're, they're called super volcanoes, okay? And, and at any moment, they could explode and just, like, cause the greatest tsunamis in the history of the world. There's, there's a couple of them that are right across from the eastern seaboard of the United States. And if they ever, if they ever split the way that they are going to someday, when it happens, because it is going to happen, when, when that volcano goes off again, it hasn't gone off for a long time, and when it goes off again, it will cause the greatest tsunami in the history of the world, and that tsunami is going to plow into the eastern, into the eastern seaboard of the United States and, and kill hundreds of thousands of people. We know this is going to happen. It is going to take place. Scientists are just saying, we don't know. There's no way for us to know when, but it is going to happen, so just understand that. Don't live in New York City. Sorry, it's a bad idea. All right? The, uh, <laughs> okay, it's it's gonna happen. So this is either something like that, like a volcano exploding into the ocean and killing one third of the of the life in the ocean, 
or it's a meteor coming from the coming from space and smashing into the ocean and and killing a third of the plant life. Yeah. Now, totally like actual real question. Yes. Like if by the time this all starts to happen, like we've habitated the moon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like reality. Yeah. Would those people on the moon be? I have no idea. The Bible doesn't say anything about people on the moon. Okay, next trumpet. One third of the drinkable water is poisoned. Oh, that's great. First, a third of the water destroys the world. What was the first one? I'm sorry. The first one is one third of the plant life is burned up. Second one is the one third of the Earth's ocean life is burned up by a volcano or a meteor. Why one third? Because that's what the Bible says. I don't know. <laughs> it might just be like, might be located in one ocean. Who knows? I, I really don't know. I, I don't know. God likes three. But it's, well, this, this one-third motif seems to go all the way through until the fifth of the trumpets. Because the next one. Go to the next one. One-third of the light is taken. We don't know what that means. Now, imagine that. That would make sense, though, if it was after a volcano. Yes, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. If it was a big volcano, no, no, you're absolutely right. If there's a big volcano explosion, this has happened more than once, where the, the ash from a volcano goes up <coughs> into the atmosphere, and it actually makes the entire world colder than it was. Um, that's, it's very well documented that that happens. What's that? We had, well, it didn't really make the earth colder, but you couldn't fly airplanes in northern Europe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all this ash up in the atmosphere, and they couldn't take jets up there, and so people were stuck in Europe for months. Darn, right? <laughs> no, it wouldn't. I'd love it. I'd be like, oh, darn, I'm stuck. That's just too bad. All right. Number five. Okay, check this out, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually, demon locusts. Demon locusts. Check this out. This is just unbelievable. Demon locusts. Okay, I'm gonna read it to you. Um. Yeah, they're hideous. They're they're unbelievable. Oh. Well, they do. Okay, the seven trumpets. The fourth angel blew his trumpet. The third sun was struck. The third of the moon. The third of the stars. Okay. All right. Then verse thirteen. Are we? Are we? We're on verse. We're on. We're on chapter nine. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to kill, uh, to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. 
And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like woman's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as kings over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. That means destroyer, by the way. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Yeah. Locusts? Demon locusts make sense out of volcanoes? No, like you said, out of the smoke. Yes. So like the smoke that covered the earth, that covered the light. But these are real demons, though. Yeah, I know. Sure. Now, here's the deal. These these particular creatures are probably the, the angels that have been held in darkness till the end of the world that are talked about in uh, the book of Jude. Okay? So they have been waiting there for a very long time, and now they have been released, and now they are really, really mad. But they have been told not to act like normal locusts and eat the grass and the trees. They are supposed to go and sting all these people who have, uh, you know, who have, who do not have the mark of God on their foreheads. So that's that's going to be crazy. That's interesting. That is what is called the first. Whoa. Okay. We didn't talk about this, but a minute before there was an angel that, that flew in the sky. It says, then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice, which probably means a prophetic person, not a, not an eagle, not an angel. Heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Whoa, whoa, whoa to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So in other words, hello, people. If you think it's been bad so far, you wait. These last three trumpets are not good. They are going to suck. Okay, so the first woe was that, was those. Okay, now we get to trumpet six. Um, question? Question? Yeah. Um, when, when does the, the mark, like the, the seal, God's seal, come into play? We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. It already came into play. It happened yeah. earlier. But we didn't talk about it yet because I'm trying to go fast. Oh. So it's okay, though. <laughs> We're going to go back. Um, so uh, trumpet six. Okay. The demonic army is released to kill one-third of the people on the planet. The population is reduced by another 1.5 billion people by this trumpet judgment alone. Who knows where we are by this time as far as how many people have actually died. God's prophetic empowering of the church and the two witnesses are in chapter 10. God is giving the church on earth special tools to do what they are called to do during this unbelievable time. At the end of the period of the abomination, which causes desolation, the two witnesses will be killed, but they will be resurrected with the rest of us at the second coming of Jesus. We'll get there in a minute. I'm not going to, I shouldn't have read that. Um, so trumpet six. The angel blew his trumpet. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who blew, who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. 